Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We're working our way through John's Gospel. Uh, last week, we talked about favor and justice and finding the fullness of life and following Jesus. Today, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Last week, I told you how Greeks had come to the disciples uh, seeking uh, to inquire or an audience uh, with Jesus. And, and Jesus had this very unusual reply uh, to their inquiry. He, he predicted his death. In John 12, 23 and 24, Jesus, this was his reply. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Pretty unusual response to, hey, we got this couple of guys from Greece, they'd like to have a conversation with you. The hour has come. So today we'll pick up at verse 27. Jesus is continuing his, his response. He says, now, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. So Lord, I thank you for your word and the, the truth that's in your word. I actually just bless this time, make this sacred, make this, make this holy time, make this holy ground. I pray for my friends, prepare their hearts and minds to receive your word and May it have its full impact. Lord, use me to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving for them. Amen? Okay, so I got, I got two main points from these few short verses today. Point number one is the hour for which Jesus came. And my second point is the audible voice of God. So let's, let's look at verse 27, the hour for which Jesus came. He said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. So take note of a few things. Take note of the fact that Jesus' soul is troubled. Why would his soul be troubled? Why would Jesus' soul, he's God, why would his soul be troubled? Well, his soul was troubled because he knew what was coming. He knew torture, crucifixion, and the bearing the sins of all humanity for all time was coming. I'm thinking my soul would be troubled too. Jesus was, was neither ignorant of his circumstances nor was he surprised by them. He knew why he came into the world and he knew what it entailed. So what does this mean for us? This fact that Jesus' soul was troubled. Well, Isaiah 53 3 says of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Hebrews 14 kind of expands on that and says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. What does this mean for us that Jesus' soul is troubled? It means he knows. Jesus knows. 
He understands absolutely everything that you're dealing with, right? The Hebrews verse says that he had been tempted in every way, just as we are every way. He knows. He gets it. He gets you. He gets it from a personal and an experiential level. He doesn't get it simply from some, that he's embraced some intellectual concept. He gets it. He's experienced it. He gets you because he's been there too. There's no other God. There's no other God like our God. There's no man-made gods. There's no culturally contrived deities. There's no super beings associated with any other world religions that's like our God. Because all of them are in some high lofty tower looking down upon us. From their perfected state, making requirements and demands that we somehow try harder. That's not our God. He, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He came to us. He came to our level. He experienced everything that you and I experience. His soul was troubled. You know what it's like to have your soul troubled? So do I. But so does your God. That's good news. None of these so-called gods have loved any part of humanity to the degree of investment that Jesus has. Jesus loves us. He loves you and me with an all-in kind of love. Holds nothing back. The fact that his soul is troubled is a clear indication that he's fully aware of what's about to happen to him and why. So much so that it causes him to vocalize this question. Father, save me from this hour? You only consider a question like that, you can only consider a question like that if you know what's coming, right? You don't ask to be saved from the hour if you're unaware of what the hour brings. He knows what's coming. He knew. He knew completely. Have you ever been in that place where your prayers are like Jesus' question here, Father, save me from this hour? I've prayed that prayer, man, too many more times than I can I can remember, oh, God, you know, I've prayed this. It's like, God, I don't need your help right now. I don't need your assistance right now. I need you to rescue me. I'm in such a mess. <laughs> the quicksand is so deep. I'm so entangled in this. I don't need assistance. I'm way beyond assistance. I need to be rescued. You know, I need to be saved from this hour. But Jesus knew what we all too often we don't know. He knew that this was why he came. Verse 27b, he says, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. So before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan for our salvation, for yours and for mine. Before Adam and Eve bowed to Satan's manipulations and allowed their, their trust relationship with God to be damaged, there was a plan. There was a purpose for God himself. And the, the uber famous verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 kind of communicates it. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. I'll tell you what. Jesus on the cross is that plan. Jesus is the plan 
to prosper us. Jesus is the plan not to harm us. Jesus is the plan to give us hope. Jesus is the plan for our eternal future. He, it's him. Everything in his life is leading up, everything is leading up to this hour, to these circumstances, in this time and in this place in Jesus' life. Everything led up to this event. Creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, all the story of Abraham, Moses, and David, the entire Old Covenant, up to the Incarnation, the nine months that Jesus spent in Mary's womb, the 30 years of relative obscurity, the three years of public ministry, his, his countless confrontations with the scribes and Pharisees, his healing the sick, his raising the dead, his, his casting out demons, his multiplying food, the mentoring that he offered to his disciples, all of it, all that he had happened. From, from creation until this hour, here in John chapter 12, was all for what was about to happen for the next few days. And Jesus knows it. He knows it and he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I've come to this hour. Jesus, right in front of Jesus is a horrifically challenging destiny. And he embraces it fully, and he calls it glory. <laughs> he calls it his Father's glory. His ways are not our ways. He sees and views life in the world differently than we do. So how about you? So before I move on to the audible voice of God section of this morning's message, let me ask you a couple of questions. If God chose the exact time in history for Jesus' coming, and the specific geographical location could it be, could it be that it's same, the same is true of you as well? If he chose the moment in time and the place on the planet for Jesus' coming, could he have just such a plan for your life that you would live in this day? Could it be? I believe it is. I believe it is true. Absolutely true. And I, and I, and I believe that everything, and I really mean everything, from creation forward, has been for this purpose, that you and I would have a loving, intimate relationship with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That there would be loving relationship between you and God. Everything that's happened in all of human history that's brought you to this very moment is so that you could have a relationship with Him. In His, in his infinite wisdom and His perfect love, God chose both where on earth and when in time you would exist. Why? So that you might love him and that you might enjoy his love for you. Let me back that theory up with some scripture, okay? Acts chapter 17. Listen to verses 24 to 28. Especially highlight verse, part of verse 26. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations. 
that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he mocked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poet, poets have said, we are his offspring. In verse 26 it says this, he mocked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Why? So we'd seek him and find him. So let me encourage you this morning. Life is hard. And sometimes in the difficulty and in the challenges of life, it gets murky. It gets foggy. It's hard to see. It's difficult to understand. Maybe, maybe that's what your prayers sound like from time to time. Oh, God, I don't understand what's going on. I get it. I really do. But let me encourage you this morning. You're not a mistake. Not one of you are a mistake. I didn't plan to say this, but I lived with the burden of feeling like I was a mistake for far too long. There were two 15-year-olds who came from horrifically broken homes in Brooklyn, New York, and did things that 15-year-olds weren't supposed to do, and at 16, they gave birth to me. I felt, for a long time, as I watched my parents struggle, I felt like I was a mistake. I felt like it was my fault just for existing. And at some point, God opened my eyes and, and things like verse 26 encouraged me. He mocked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You're not a mistake. Not one of you. Your heavenly father loves you. He has called you by name and you're his. He has set you in time, in this time. He has set you in the land of your birth, and he has set you in place in this place, on this day. That's what he's done. And scripture is proof that even if we run from him, and most of us have at some point, <laughs> he captures us. He, he captures us in his love. Kind of like Dayton Nadine. She let me chase her until she let me catch her, you know? <laughs> Scriptures prove that even if we run from him, he will find us in his great and his lavish love. God has a plan for your life and for mine. Our circumstances, the circumstances of your life, the circumstances of my life, do not define us. They don't define us in God's eyes. Your, circus, your worst day doesn't define you, neither does your best day. Your circumstances do not define you. We're known by our Father. I've only been on PEI for three years, but I've noticed something. People are identified by the family name on PEI, right? If you say you're an Arsenal, they want to know which, which Arsenal. If you say you're a McDonald's, they want to know... What part of the island, McDonald? If you're a camel, they want to know from what people are known by their name. So when they, hey, oh, what's your name? Tom Zawacki. Oh, you're not from around here, no. <laughs> I dare say we're the only Zawackis on PEI. In the same way, we're known by our Father. We're known by our Father. And our Father is amazing. 
He's astonishing. He's absolutely amazing. There's none like him. Okay, let's, let's move on to the audible voice of God portion here. Verses 28 to 30. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them, to him. Jesus said, this voice was not for my benefit. Uh, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. So after publicly embracing his purpose and his destiny, Jesus speaks a full word prayer. He says, Father, glorify your name. And there's an instant reply, an audible reply. The reply is a voice from heaven. You know, this isn't the only time that the audible voice of God is recorded in the New Testament. Uh, there are three others. At Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I love that verse. I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? This is at his baptism. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The father says, you're my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. Jesus hadn't healed any sick people yet. He hadn't multiplied food. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't done anything. The Father's pleasure in Jesus was on the basis of their relationship. There was a Father and a Son. And the Father was well pleased. And that's exactly how He feels about you. He loves you, not on the basis of how you stack up your good deeds versus your bad deeds. He loves you because you're His Son. He's well pleased in you because you're his son and his daughter. That's how he operates. Guys, listen to me. His ways are not our ways. We measure everything in life by performance. We're conditioned to do that from grade school on. Before that, from the crib, right? We're conditioned. If we behave well, there are rewards. And if we behave less than well, there, there are penalties. That's not how he operates. It's not how his relationship worked with, with his son. It's not how it works with you. We do need reformation. We need more than revival. We need, a, we need reformation in this day that will completely change our understanding of how the Father relates to us because it's really screwed up. We've really messed it up. The church has so embraced a performance-based model and, and they've called it Christianity, and it has distorted the wondrous things that God's done for us. And we live not in the freedom that John sang about so well this morning, but we live in the bondage of, of self-loathing and guilt and shame that he came to set us free from. But that's a whole other sermon. But I love that verse so much, I can barely read through it without going there. But that's the first audible voice of God that we see in the New Testament. It happens again at the Transfiguration in Matthew 7, 15. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then there's a third account. But, and this is with Saul on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 7. And as he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. So clearly, there's... There's unequivocal, biblical evidence that God speaks audibly from heaven to earth. There's three, I mean, you could read those verses any way you want. There's an audible voice from God that spoke, and people on earth heard it. So back to John 12. God spoke audibly in reply to Jesus' prayer. Some heard it clearly enough that they could record the account of what happened. Some thought it thundered. And others thought it was the voice of an angel. Jesus explained that the audible voice was for our benefit, not his. Jesus was, is, and always has been, always will be, one with the Father and with the Spirit. Matter of fact, there's nothing that Jesus did that wasn't inspired by the Father. And in John 5, 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And in John chapter 14, verses 10 and 24, it says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. That's verse 10. Verse 24 says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus has been in continual audio, visual, perceptive communication with the Father. A never-ending communication between the two of them. He didn't need the audible voice. Jesus didn't need the audible voice of God in John 12. The people did. Now take note. This is, I think this is significant. It's something that will help us. In the physical presence of God... In Jesus, the Word made flesh, dwelling among us. These people are in Jesus' physical presence. And the Heavenly Father speaks audibly to this whole group of people. In the same place, and at the same time. And they heard it differently. Isn't that interesting? Same God speaks to the same group of people, same place, same time, but they heard differently. That's significant. So in other words, the audible voice of God, if God so chose, he could speak in this room right here and right now. And we might not all hear it exactly the same way. Some might hear the message distinctly. Some might hear it in what it sounds like thunder. Some might recognize it as the voice of God the Father. Some might think it's angelic. Some people might think it's their own imagination or worse yet. Some might might write it off to it being demonic activity. But the same God could speak to the same people at the same time in the same room, and we hear differently. Isn't this reality a call for grace? Isn't this a really good example of the necessity for us to be gracious toward one another? Could it be that the way you experience God and the way you perceive it in a moment can be, and, and the same God could speak to someone else in the room, and the way they perceive it in the moment can look very differently, but it still both be God. 
I think, I think this reality is a crying call for let's be gracious to one another. Some might think thunder is the, I heard the thunder of God. That's a pretty awesome thing. Someone said, maybe I heard the voice of God. That'd be pretty cool too. So the same God who could speak to me in one way can speak to you in another all at the same time. And depending on where we are in our spiritual journey, we might have ears to hear. We might not. We might have eyes to see. We might not, at least not yet. I like to think, I like to think I've matured and grown on my journey with the Lord. How about you? I, I know that I understand more today than I did a decade or two ago. And I feel pretty confident that I can sense and perceive the Holy Spirit better today than I did 10 or 20 years ago. So could it be that in John 12, there are, that the same God spoke and some could hear at one level and others could hear at another? Yeah, I think that's what it's saying. I think yes. And so, so if you're the one in the room who can hear the audible voice of God and you can distinctly de decipher the, the verbiage that's being said as opposed to the one that's only hearing thunder, do you despise the brother that hears thunder? No. Why, why would we do that? Of course not. Wouldn't this be a good place when the manifest presence of God's in our midst, wouldn't this be a good place to practice grace? To practice loving one another? I experience God in one way. Please respect it. You experience God in another way. I'll respect the way that you experience God. And yet, it's all Him. Okay, I'll take another angle at this. A, a biblical approach. We're, we're one body with many parts. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. It says, for, the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Corinthians 12 the same author is communicating similar truth. I won't read the whole chapter. I encourage you, read, read Romans 12. Read 1 Corinthians 12 on your own. Let the words speak to you. But just to highlight a few verses in the text, verse 12 says, Just as one body, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verses 15 and 16. Now if the foot should say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 27, now you 
are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Different parts of a physical body experience life uniquely. My eyes experience life in this world quite differently than do my ears or my hands or my nose. So it is true with the body of Christ. We're all part of a body, his body, one body. My strong encouragement from this, this encounter of different people in the presence, in the physical presence of Jesus, hearing the voice of God come from heaven, experiencing it differently, maybe we can extrapolate from that an understanding that we're going to experience things differently from one another, and it's still be God. So I encourage grace. I encourage kindness and mercy and gentleness. I strongly encourage that we love one another, that we honor one another, that we value and that we respect one another. Especially, and this is the challenge for us, this is the challenge for us as, as mature believers in Christ, that we would love and honor and value and respect, especially those parts of the body that are wildly different from our part of the body. Does that sound like God? I mean, that sounds like God to me. I think that's the law. So let's pray. John, would you come up and prepare to lead us in a song? So in the, in the same way that Jesus has and had a plan and purpose, so do you. So if you need prayer today concerning his plan and purpose for your life, would you come forward? We want to pray for you. If you're struggling with the time and the place of God's purpose for your life, this moment in time, this place on the planet, if that's, if that's a challenge for you, and you need some prayer, come forward. I'd love to pray for you this morning. <laughs> Are you on the part of your spiritual journey where you're hearing thunder, but you'd really like to hear his voice more clearly? Well, then come forward today. We'd love to pray that God do that kind of work inside of you. If you wonder what's your part in the body at all, ah, I'm in the body, I'm a kidney, I'm a little, I don't know what I am. And you wonder about that, and you want some prayer, come, come forward. If you need help loving parts of the body that are different than you, then especially, please come forward. I'd love to pray for you this morning. If you need prayer for anything at all, John's going to lead us in a song. Come forward, receive some prayer, and then we'll, um, we'll close the service.